Hi, this is Kenny, Aaron, and William. Join us as we talk about all things sex-related at the Sexology Institute in San Antonio, Texas. Hello, Will and Kenny. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Doing all right. Much better. It's like none of that stuff that happened last week happened. So, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't look like a refugee today. So, yeah. Oh, you're doing it because you saw the video too. I did see your video about the hierarchy of needs, which was really helpful just to help people put things in perspective. And so, yes, as you were bundled, um, we're not there. I mean, it's cloudy today in San Antonio, but better cloudy than freezing. So absolutely. Yeah, it actually looks like San Antonio today. So, yeah, it's a relief. Um, Okay. Well, let us dive right in. I know that, um, I think it was, let's see, when did I first talk about my goals and all of that stuff? A couple months ago. So I'm going to share with everybody. um, I told you that I would let everybody keep me accountable and I'm keeping myself accountable. Okay. So I have done that. I've done really well with my goals, especially my professional goals. So one of the things I did, I reviewed my financial situation, set up a budget. I've been keeping up with that, keeping track of it. I reviewed my career goals, academic goals, and I've been doing that. I've been doing a lot of trainings. I took a look at my diet, fitness situation, and I've stuck with the, like the keto diet. I've been on less than 50 grams of carbs since I last talked about all of this. And I feel very comfortable with that, eating less than 50 grams of carbs. So there's no chocolate, no sugar, no bread, no pasta, no rice, no any of those things that are that people consider comfort foods. So Kenny, I see you making a kind of a face. Well, you told me about how this is working for you and you feel better. So like, I can't knock the fact that you feel better. And yet when you say that you're not enjoying chocolate or carbs, um, I automatically get a headache because those are the things that my body is addicted to that. If I were to cut them out, I would be like a T-Rex, like roaring and like, thrashing my arms and being very, very upset and hungry and in pain. Um, So more power to you because number one, you're sticking to goals set for yourself. You feel healthier. What do you find comfort in? Like when you're having a day that does not agree with you? I'm a caffeine addict. I will say that. Like I am loading up on coffee, Uh, put lots of half and half in the coffee and canned milk in the coffee. And when the power outage was here, I would race to the coffee pot and hope that I had five minutes to (laughs) make a pot of coffee. When I did, I was eating coffee beans. Like seriously, I would get a handful of coffee beans and I was Mm -hmm. eating coffee beans because my head was hurting so bad. Now everyone knows that I have an addiction to caffeine. And as you can tell, I'm drinking tea right now. So that's what I do for comfort. I consume a lot of caffeine. Okay. I'm going to have to get you a thermos so that if we ever have a snowmageddon again, 
you can make enough coffee to put in a thermos to stay hot for longer periods of time. Oh, I have one. I just okay. ran through it. I'll get you another. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So other types of self-care, I've been doing that. Some things that I'm thinking about, like with family and friends, doing monthly Zoom meetings, because I've had clients who are doing that and they're finding it very useful. We're keeping up with the podcast, the YouTube recordings. I've started meditating pretty regularly again. And by the way, there is a meditation series on YouTube. I mean, not YouTube, on uh, Netflix. Netflix. Yes. And I did the first episode and the first episode is it actually talks about the science behind meditation and how this guy came about doing this. You know, he's a he's a monk or he was a monk. And so the way that he describes it, it's very interesting. And then there's a very small segment of a meditation, like five minutes or so in that first episode. And so I'm really enjoying that. And I've meditated for years anyway. And so I've just kind of gotten back into it pretty regularly. So I just wanted to let everybody know that I have indeed stuck to all of my goals. And now that March is coming up, I'm going to continue. Go, Erin. See, I feel better knowing that I have to come, I have to say this in public. You know, I told everybody that I was going to do it. This is not a New Year's resolution. These are goals that I actually have intentions of meeting. And just as you stated, when you did the goal episode and, you know, kind of gave us a rundown of the tools that you're utilizing to help maintain your goals for lifestyle change and overall well-being, like that is beneficial, the accountability and then also like letting us know what doesn't work. So you let us know what is working. Have you come across anything that doesn't work that you've had to either tweak or um, identify like, okay, that didn't work for me. So I'm going to do this instead. I know that I don't need to look at my book every day. Like that wasn't working for me looking at it every week or every three or four days that works better for me because it gives me a chance to, uh, accumulate some things and feel, you know, feel more accomplished. So I know that that didn't work. That's probably the only thing, you know, just not micromanaging myself, you know, trusting that I'm going to keep up with the goals that works better for me. Absolutely. Cool. I did not do it as formally as you had when you did the episode about setting goals. Um, some of the goals that I did set for myself were to spend more time outside. I have been doing that um, on Sundays. I try not to be indoors at all with the exception of preparing meals for the week. With that, um, I have lost a few pounds because I'm not sitting still. And that wasn't even the intent. Even if I'm taking a nap outside, the fact of the matter is I have to carry my chair outside. I have to carry my water, my table. I have to get my blanket and get cozy. And so um, those small steps have helped me physically and then also mentally because I'm not staring at a computer screen. That's something that has worked. And I got rid of my scale because it was making me miserable. That was something that I recognized didn't work and okay. was causing more strain. So I just was like, donation. So it's gone. 
I like that idea. I like that idea. I mean, and not focusing on weight loss, but focusing on fitness and well-being because uh, you'll lose weight. But if you're if you're putting it, if you're making it more about being healthy and having, you know, wellness and well-being, uh, then it's it'll stick. It's more positive. Just like if you don't say diet, because that sounds restrictive rather than like a lifestyle change, uh, yeah. then you're more likely to stick to it. So I love that. And you're getting a lot of vitamin D. So you're, you're spending some time outside. Yeah. Will, do you have any goals that you, besides your, well, you're moving. So oh, I, I know. you can't do anything right now except get moved. Yeah. So I know a lot of my goals I really had for myself were essentially working on some projects and getting kind of more established in what I'm doing and being able to have a regular schedule and having a regular space to actually work. So a lot of that is actually happening in the move. So I'm going to be having that office for the first time. And that's really going to help me get organized and actually have a place to create content. Because right now I don't have that. So it makes it very difficult to do that sort of thing. But I'm going to have a dedicated office space where um, I can work on things, um, look at the wildlife out my window. It's going to be very awesome and relaxing. So yeah, a month from today, we're actually going to be driving back over to Georgia, moving truck and tow and everything, headed back over. So I'm very excited about that. That's what I'm working on now is just getting that move underway. It's, it's a thousand mile move. So there's lots of moving parts right now. Oh, well, more power to you. I'm excited for you. I'm very excited. It's it's good. It's all good things happening right now. Cool, 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 cool. All right. Well, thank you, Will, for sharing that. So today we are going to jump into more sexual health stuff. And this isn't going to be in depth or anything. We're going to talk about uh, some of the women's sexual dysfunction stuff and then a little bit about the men's and like some of the treatments and all of that, but we're not going to go into it in detail. This will be an opportunity for people to ask questions or schedule appointments or what have you. And uh, Will is going to speak more in detail about how this applies to the transgender community. And then later on, Kenny is going to take the lead in a session uh, that goes more into detail with the women's sexual health. So these are some of the types of issues that vulva owners deal with, their orgasmic arousal, desire, and pain. And of course, there are DSM-5 diagnoses for these, but I don't need to get into that. The general public just needs to know that this is what, you know, when women come and talk to me, it's usually about unable to have an orgasm or inability to be aroused having desire issues or pain during sex. And the psychological factors that are associated with that are usually depression or anxiety, grief and loss. And remember that grief and loss doesn't necessarily have to be about a death. Uh, you can grieve any type of loss. It can be any type of loss, okay? And then of course, trauma. There can also be situational factors that can cause any of these things such as low self-esteem. It can, it can be something like self-esteem associated with if a woman has some type of surgery, like if she has a breast removed, like if she's had cancer, or if she has a uterus removed, you know, because the uterus 
identifies a, a woman as a woman, or that's, that's how a lot of women feel. And so she may have a low self-image because of that. Then there can be relationship issues. She may be feeling, having negative feelings towards her partner or not attracted to her partner. There can be uh, issues related to her surroundings. Like she may not feel like there's enough privacy or safety. And there are cultural issues, religious beliefs. And we all know about how religion, a lot of times there's shame and guilt associated with sexuality. Mm -hmm. There are distractions, you know, family, work, and other things that where women are multitasking and they're not allowed, they're not allowing themselves to enjoy sex. And then you have the physical factors there, like the hormonal changes. And then when there are surgeries, such as the removal of ovaries, there are going to be hormonal changes. And don't forget about medications such as SSRIs. And there are other medications, but the one that I listed here that I find that are most common are the SSRIs or the antidepressants. So in a nutshell, those are the types of issues that I'm usually presented with uh, when women come to see me and the reasons for those. There is an assessment called the Female Sexual Function Index, the FSFI. That's something that I ask for women to complete before they even come in for an assessment. And there are questions on there, questions like over the past four weeks, how often did you feel sexual desire or interest? How often did you become lubricated during sexual activity or intercourse? And so that gives people a general idea of how we assess. Some of the treatments that are used, like because there a lot of it is psychological, um, of course, there's going to be cognitive behavioral therapy. Sometimes there's going to be the sensate focus. And if there are hormone issues, then we would ask that the, that the woman go to the doctor and have her hormones checked, and she'll probably be put on some type of hormone replacement therapy. There are also uh, sometimes couples therapy is needed. And I mentioned the sensate focus. If it's about not being able to have an orgasm, then we want to teach her about her anatomy, you know, like ask her to get a certain type of uh, vibrator and educate her about her anatomy. Because if she doesn't understand about her body, then she can't educate her partner about her anatomy. So those are just some of the things that we do uh, for women's sexual health or women's dysfunction. Okay, and Will was able to pull that up on the screen for men. This one is delayed ejaculation. Now, we don't usually use this particular term because there's not a lot of evidence or empirical data associated with it, but some of the reasons that it happens. There's aging, it's psychological, congenital reasons, uh, anatomical, endocrine, and medication, of course. And then this is more of the psychological and other variables. Very similarly, just like with the female stuff, you're going to have cultural and religious beliefs, you know, with shame and guilt associated with sexuality, anger, insufficient sexual arousal, preference for masturbation or atypical masturbation style. Guys learn how to, or penis owners, or 
or vulva owners, you like you learn what feels good to you mm-hmm. when you masturbate and you get used to that and you stick with that type of masturbation style. Okay. And then sometimes people can't get aroused in any other way except that particular style of masturbation. And then so we end up having to educate them to learn other techniques, learn other ways to masturbate. So for example, some people masturbate face down. Okay. We may have to educate them to, you know, turn over on their back, you know, or we may have to educate them to use a vibrator or some sort of toy, you know, for stimulation. Okay. So that's what an atypical masturbation style is. Sometimes people have ejaculation problems because they're fearing STIs from a partner or fearing pregnancy. These are some of the treatments that are used. And I'm just kind of putting all of this together, the erectile stuff. I'm going to put it all in one category. You have the squeeze technique, sensate focus, the stop start. We don't use the squeeze technique as much because the sensate focus and the start stop technique is a little bit more effective. Mm-hmm. And then the quiet vagina. Does anybody know what that is about? <laughs> it just means there's penetration, penal vaginal penetration, and there's no movement. There's no thrusting. The guy is just, he's getting used to the sensation. And this is, this is actually a good treatment for premature ejaculation. He's just laying there. He just has the penis in the vaginal canal and there's no movement. And then he's, you know, he's able to withdraw, penetrate again, and then not have any motion and get used to that. So it's about having awareness. And then there are cognitive behavioral approaches, pelvic floor exercises, of course, and then using an integrated approach, you know, where there may be a combination of everything. So again, this is for a lot of that's for the uh, premature ejaculation. These are some of the assessment questions that we would ask. Some of the questions would be, when did you first experience premature ejaculation? Is your erection hard enough to penetrate? Um, Do you have difficulty maintaining an erection during your uh, intercourse? Do you ever rush intercourse to prevent loss of erection? Have you received any treatment for premature ejaculation? Do you avoid sexual intercourse because of embarrassment? So all of this, you know, these are just general questions that we would ask as sexual health professionals when there are erectile issues going on. And what I try to do is I'm asked, I go by what the guy is telling me when he does the first, you know, the the psychosocial assessment and some of the other assessments. And then I'm going to ask some of these questions so I can know, is this, you know, premature ejaculation or delayed ejaculation or whatever the case may be. And then I'm looking at other factors. I'm seeing if there are health issues. Is he taking any type of medication? And when I say health issues, is there diabetes, uh, high blood pressure, or anything like that? Is he taking any kind of medications that are going to cause problems with blood flow? And so I look at a number of things. So a lot of people don't know that orgasm and ejaculation are different things. Okay. So the orgasm, it's the pleasure, it's, it's a brain event. And then the ejaculation, that is a physiological event that happens in the genitals. And so I want for people to know that, like you can 
do both of those things at the same time, or you can have an orgasm without having an ejaculation. And it's really phenomenal to be able to do that. And we talked about this a little bit for erectile dysfunction, some of the treatments associated with it. Of course, there's going to be some of the, the therapy so that we can work on anxiety. And then the systematic desensitization, the sensate focus, couples therapy, and then behavioral assignments, sex education, and communication and sexual skills training. I just wanted to hit the highlights of some of the things that we address in women's sexual health and in men's sexual health. And people can feel free to ask questions. There are assessments that we do. There are very specific assessments that I do. I do mental health assessments because I need to know what's happening, you know, from a psychosocial perspective. I need to know if you're seeing a doctor, if you're in therapy, if you're on medicine, if you've had any type of trauma. And then there are other assessments that I can do associated with trauma, like the ACE assessment. And then, mm -hmm. of course, if there, if there, I look to see if the person uses alcohol or drugs or anything like that. And there are other assessments that I can do for that. Um, I look to see if there's any job dissatisfaction because that can be a factor. And then this helps me to, you know, create a really good picture of what's happening. So there's mental health and then there's sexual health. And we put all of that together and then I have a conversation with the person and then we go from there. Thanks for that overview, Erin. That was really comprehensive and there's a lot of information that you presented that i think many of our viewers and listeners they think to themselves am i the only one who's experiencing yeah. this yeah um, and as i was saying uh this also happens in the trans community you know a lot of these happen because of the changes in the body and the hormones and so uh, Will is going to talk more about that very, very specifically in one of our episodes, like how this would impact someone who is making the transition. Yeah. On top of that, so some of the things I'm going to address, I made, I made us a little list, but also anyone's more than free to reach out if they have anything specific they want to hear more about, they have any specific questions, but some of the main things that really affect sexual health and sexual function for transgender people are, and also things that they have to keep in mind to get checked are um, breast tissue health, pelvic health, fertility health and issues. Um, and then also some things that I have people reach out to is also their sexual orientation and sexual interests. So, cause both those things can, um, kind of grow and uh, fall off a little bit depending on what's going on in your life um, and then sexual function due to hormones as well. Well, yeah, we're going to do many, many segments on, on that because there's not, you know, we, I don't think we've done very many episodes on that. So we're going to make sure that we are doing that. Well, that's all I have for this particular episode and we're getting ready to do a follow-up episode because Kenny is going to lead a discussion uh, where there is more, a little bit more um, information about women's sexual health, but it's going to be more specific. And Kenny, do you want to say a little bit about what you're going to be talking about? So along the lines, when it comes to sexual health and women's issues, when we're talking about whether or not people, women have a choice, there's not a lot of choice 
that women have without medical professionals sometimes making them feel hysterical and or wrong. And so that really stood out for me. And then also along with that is reproductive decisions, especially about ectopic pregnancies. And so I started to read about that. And so I wanted to touch a little bit about it, maybe take a few minutes and bring up some issues that maybe we can expand on in further episodes. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and do that. You can email me at erin at brighterfutureea.com or you can email Kenny at KT Pollitt, that's P O L I T as in Tango, 24 at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by Aaron Alexander, hosted by Kenny Pollitt and Aaron Alexander, and mixed and edited by William Lynch.